there's a little bit of like letting go of expectations when you come into a growth role of like, well, uh, I can learn as much as I can. Um, but yeah, things are going to change. And if I, if I don't roll with the punches, I'm going to like, um, yeah, I'm just going to like get snowed under. Hello and welcome to the Delivering Value podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Kaplan. I got an amazing guest today that I'm so excited to release this episode with, Sharin Bradfield. Sharin is the head of growth and self-service at Optimal Workshop, which is a design, research, and UX testing software company in New Zealand. And Sharin has an incredible backstory. She started there as a growth marketer with a one-line job description. She eventually transitioned into being a growth PM, focused on new user onboarding, and then eventually into her current role as head of growth and self-service for that business. And we had an incredible conversation where she talked about how she made that transition, the challenges that come with each phase of that transition, how as a leader, she keeps uh, her emotions in check and keeps herself from revving too high. We talked about overcoming imposter syndrome and all kinds of other stuff that are common when you're the head of growth at a fast-paced SaaS company. It's an amazing episode. We had an awesome conversation and I'm excited for you to hear it. This episode of the Delivering Value podcast is brought to you by Novatic. If you're listening to this and you have followed me online, it should be no surprise that Novatic is a sponsor. I talk about the interactive demo space all the time. As a former two-time head of growth, I learned pretty quickly that there's a huge percentage of signups that create an account, poke around for a couple minutes, and leave and never come back. If you survey these folks, they usually say, hey, I just wanted to see the product in action for a few minutes. I'm not ready to buy. I don't want to upload my stuff. I just wanted to see it. And so creating some version of your product that's ungated, that people can play with on your website, tends to be super helpful for that population of people. It increases the quality of your users. It weeds out all the clunkers, so from clouding up your data. And it starts the onboarding process way before someone even gets into the product. It's a huge part of the growth operating system. And if you're looking for help building this, so you don't have to take months and months doing it in-house like my engineers did, use Novatic. They create third-party tools that help you do exactly this. I send a lot of my advising clients their way, and they're a great product. Want to take a second and thank Mad Kudu for sponsoring the show. The average SaaS business has a hybrid motion these days. You know, when I was head of growth at Wistit and at Postscript, although we called ourselves PLG, there was a sales team at both companies. Both companies did some outbound. We did inbound. There was the product-led freemium or free trial motion. And wrangling all that stuff to understand lead scoring and quality and PQL routing is a bear. And when I worked at Postscript, we had a Stanford PhD, had a PhD in data science, one of the smartest people I've ever met, spend weeks and weeks and weeks putting together this insane predictive model using our behavioral data to understand who was likely to convert and to upgrade. And it took weeks of doing this. We weren't really able to adjust it after the fact, and it ended up being something that was hard to maintain. And what's great is that now there's these whole suite of tools out there that can help you do this way faster. So Madkudu is typically the one that I send my clients to that if I had in my previous world, those head of growth would have made my life way easier. And what's nice is that they balance the hybrid motion really well. So if you're trying to wrangle PQLs, PQAs, and figure out lead scoring across your hybrid model, check out Madkudu. It's where I send my clients. And so usually what I like to do to kick us off is really just say, like, I want to hear your growth origin story, basically. Give me the 10,000 foot overview for anyone who's listening to this, who's not familiar with you and your background. Like, can you just share how you got into growth and, and what got you to this point, head of growth and self-serve at Optimal Workshop? Yeah, sure. Um, it was uh, very much a stumble into growth kind of moment, which I imagine is, um, quite a few people's origin stories. Um, so I'd been working in uh, more traditional marketing for maybe four, four or so years, uh, working across NGOs and agencies and things like that. Um, and it wasn't really like finding, finding my joy or like finding, you know, the thing that really got me out of bed to do this work. Um, and I had a few friends that were really passionate about the work that they were doing. Um, and what I was finding with them was that they were working at this place called Optimal Workshop. Um, the uh, the place was a, a startup at the time and uh, just hiring a lot of really passionate, really cool people. Uh, the product was really cool as well. Um, and, and I was like, that sounds great. Uh, I would like to work there. Let's, let's do that. Um, and so I, 
I interviewed for a role, like maybe three or four roles there, which maybe doesn't uh, reflect well on me, but I was really just going for anything that was coming through because I knew that the organization was great. Um, and I think at some point they just got really sick of me coming through the interview process. So they uh, actually created a role for me uh, called growth marketing manager. Um, the role came with a one line JD, which said increase our revenue. My, my like baby marketing brain was like, dang, this is, <laughs> this is scary. Um, but this is obviously a huge opportunity. Um, so I went into it. Um, and, and that's where it all started. Um, it was the first growth uh, marketing functioning function within the organization, um, which was really, really, really cool. Uh, but it also meant that no one in the team really knew what was going on, um, which is which is super exciting, right? Um, so we all kind of learned about growth and what that meant at the same time. As an aside, we all were also very new to tech, and no one in the team had really worked in a, a tech org before. So it was really exciting. We did that for a bit, um, very much working on the website, uh, a lot of you know conversion rate optimization tests, kind of where um, I think a lot of growth um, functions start. And as we were going through that, we realized uh, you know we're starting to see some cool wins through experimentation. That's really exciting, um, but that wasn't the point of problem uh, for that organization. The point was uh, in that activation space. Uh, we were getting a lot of people into our free product. We had a great, generous free product at the time, but none of them were converting. Um, and so this like, baby growth marketing team needed to become a growth product team. Um, and so we advocated for that. Um, and I eventually got into a growth product role. Um, and that was really cool. I did that for a while. Uh, and that worked really well for the organization. Uh, we realized that, uh, you know, our free motion was something that we really could do something with. We also needed someone to look at our uh, pricing and packaging. And so we took that on as well. Um, and so as we broadened our remit, we realized we needed a larger function. Um, and I put my head up to be head of growth and self-service. And that's why I'm here today. Pretty amazing. So you started this. I, I actually didn't know this, and you and I have chatted uh, prior to this off air. But you started with a one line JD as a growth marketer. Yep. What a leap. Yep. Um, it was very scary, uh, but I kind of yeah, I changed that <laughs> to an opportunity of like, okay, well, I think they might not know what it is either, which gives me so much remit to choose where I want to work, what I want to do. Um, obviously with the, the business problem in mind, but it just gave me all of this remit to do what I thought was important for the business. Um, so that was really exciting. It also meant that no one could tell me no. <laughs> uh, so if I wanted to do something in an area, if I had a good business case for it, they'd be like, well, we don't really know what you do. So I guess that's fine. Um, and so it was a really exciting time to be at the business to, to kind of go in there, figure out what we were meant to do as a, um, as a team within that organization. It's pretty amazing. And so your journey there, so you're a growth marketer focused on getting more signups for the freemium product. As time goes on, you're seeing him getting more signups. The business is, is generating more new accounts, but they're not converting. There's, there's like this missing piece of the puzzle. It's sort of this onboarding activation stage. How did you because this is something I talk to folks about all the time. How do I make this transition? And so I'm curious, like, how did you do that? Did you have to like make a case? Did you just start doing the work? Did you like beg and steal some engineers on the side and like do some side projects? Can you just like expand a little bit more on that transition? Yeah, it was, I think if I look at it high level, it was, it was kind of a success iteration ask kind of process. So we were starting to see some success in the areas that we were working in. We were starting to see success really quickly as well, um, which is handy. And one of the you know great things about when you start out in growth, um, especially in that growth marketing space, you start to see those things happening really quickly, where in a product organization, you may not be able to move things that quickly. Um, and so we started to see some success. We would iterate on those experiments, continue to get more success, and then we'd kind of hit a wall. Um, and you know, uh, my manager at the time was like, okay, cool. Uh, what more do you need? And so, you know, I would just very slowly, slowly ask for additional resource. Um, it kind of started with, uh, farming out some of that work to a product squad, 
but because they didn't have the the knowledge in that area we were like okay that might not be the right way to go what should we do maybe growth needs some uh some developer resource yeah yeah i think that's a good idea yeah i think we can like we can bring some people over to that um and it certainly wasn't an easy journey but um yeah it was very much if we could show the success in that area and the reason to do it the the organization was set up as such that we could get that resource which is really exciting and i think that's also another thing right like this works in particular types of organizations it was a startup at the time so people were really scrappy and they were happy to do that kind of stuff um wouldn't necessarily work at a at a larger organization it's a really good point and without sharing anything that'll get you in trouble <laughs> can you just share a little bit of context for the stage of the company at that time, like just roughly number of people and roughly like the number of uh, new accounts that we're signing up each month. I just think the context is really important here. Yeah, yeah. So we're a company of about 40, 40, maybe 40, 50. Um, I was employee number 79, um, but that was over a long period of time. Um, and um, yeah, in terms of numbers, we're probably seeing about 4,000 free signups per month, um, which is, you know, quite a bit to work with when you're in that growth space, but the conversion rate was pretty, pretty sloppy. Um, and that is not a, a representation of the work, the fine work that people were doing. It just wasn't being like utilized correctly. We weren't like analyzing why people were dropping off because that's just not where that resource was. We didn't, we had 40 people. Um, and so we were trying to think a little bit more broadly about where that, yeah, where that resource went. So it was very late. It was pretty early on in the mix, which was exciting. I've heard this described as three stages. I've heard Adam Fishman talk about this in his Amplitude talk. Have you heard that by the way? No, I haven't. He talks about the three stages of growth teams. And so he talks about, there's like a building stage an optimization stage, and then what you described, kind of the point where you hit diminishing returns, then you kind of go back and innovate a little bit and it sort of starts to cycle over. And so what I'm hearing you describe is that the company had built V1 of some kind of new user experience, but no one had really optimized it and iterated on it. So you advocated, built out, you know, scaled this, uh, this squad or this team that started to do that and then started iterating. And that's kind of why it made sense that you got some wins right off the bat. How did you transition? Tell me a little bit more about the transition between you as like a growth PM to now transitioning to your, your current role today, or actually, I guess, is that the transition or was there a kind of a step in between there? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was very much the transition. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting one. I feel very grateful um, to be at an organization that is bought in to growth and product-led growth particularly. Um, but as people came, kind of like came and went, the, like, the mission of it or the, um, the purpose of it kind of got lost some, the context of it got lost um, a little bit. And from that, uh, I guess just my little like uh, growth opportunity finding kind of hat on, I was like, oh, okay, cool. No one actually knows about what's going on in this space. Um, it is now my job to advocate for it and, you know, keep keep that flame alive. Um, uh, and so <laughs> what kind of happened, uh, and I wouldn't recommend this to, uh, to other folks, um, I just kind of started going to things and, you know, picking things up. Being like, oh, okay, cool. One of our like business um, objectives for this year is X, Y, Z uh, pricing and packaging overall. We don't have that like institutional knowledge. I don't necessarily know they don't know that. Um, uh, cool. Let me pick that up and see if I can figure it out. And I would just kind of keep picking things up when I was in my PM role. Um, that at a point I was like, it's just not like plausible for me to be in the weeds of you know delivering product as well as you know, contributing to the, the high level strategy of the business. And I think the organization realized that um, I, was, I was getting to a point of burnout um, and you know, kind of looking uh, in other, other spaces. Um, and they're like, yeah, no, you're totally right. Uh, this is too much for one human. This is potentially too much for two humans. Let's, um, yeah, let's put you in a new role uh, where you can focus predominantly on that strategy 
um, and get someone in that can really like supercharge that PM side of things. Cause I'm not a, like, I'm not a, a product person by uh, education. Uh, it is very much feeling it out. Um, and so being able to bring someone in who has that skill set and can really get that, that team flying while I can focus on the things that I am good at um, is kind of how we got there, uh, which is super, it was really nice. It was, yeah. So you just started taking stuff. Yeah. So you see a problem, yeah. you just run headfirst into it, basically, yeah. is what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I expect that's like maybe one of the things that sets like growth folks aside, uh, apart from you know, other types of people. You know, we find a problem. The problem's really exciting. May not be within the remit, but, uh, you know, did a bit of situational analysis, realize no one else has that within their remit. Be like, would I like to do this? Yes. Is this going to have business impact? Yes. Cool. Let's give it a crack. <laughs> and is that what motivates you? Like, is it just that you're attracted to the business impact? Because there could have been a different version of this story and probably a bunch of other people who worked at your company that saw the same problems and went, oh, I don't, I don't know what that's all about. I'll just stay in my lane and keep doing my thing. And so what motivated you to, to not do that? Yeah. I, I think what motivated me to do that is kind of how I define growth as well. Uh, you know, that classic of like, how would you uh, define your job to your parents? Uh, how would you describe it? Uh, and I just see that role as being someone who finds and solves problems for the business. Doesn't necessarily have to be a marketing thing, doesn't necessarily have to be a product thing. It's just you find the things that are slowing the business down and you work on that thing um, until it's working. Um, and so, yeah, that, that very much motivates me trying to find those areas of opportunity because I think like we maybe think of, or maybe when we're in an organization, we might think that it's a, um, like a special snowflake, but actually the problems that you're solving are probably are extremely transferable to other organizations as well. So it's not like it's a one and done, you solve this problem and then you're never going to work on it again. It's a, we yeah, we solve this problem and then we solve it again in five years when, you know, when it needs to be solved again. So yeah, it is very much motivating for me. It's so true, right? It's like, it's so cyclical when you work in growth. The problems today really do cycle through because if you do a good job at growing the rest of the business, different things break uh, at different areas of the funnel. Yeah, um, exactly. So that's super cool. So you just start to see problems. You start to raise your hand and take on more. And eventually the leadership team sees what you're doing and says, hey, let's see if we can take some of the heavy lifting off of your plate so that you can coordinate kind of across some of these initiatives. And that's what got you to your role today. So head of growth and self-service for the business today. Yep. That's 100% it. And so in your role today, I'm curious to know, like, what does a typical week look for, look like for you? I imagine another like <laughs> a growth human thing of every week is different. But I guess I, I try to I try to impact in three ways, I think, um, especially at the moment. So um, in my current role, I kind of straddle the the product world and the the marketing world. So um, I look after our go to market team on the marketing side, um, and then we're lucky enough to have a growth product team as well. So I think that think of that as one part of my job, making sure that the the humans in those squads feel connected to the vision. Um, and know what they're trying to do. Um, so that's one part of it. Um, the second part that, you know, is is the thing that brings me the most, oh, some of the most joy is um, iterating on the strategy that we have at the moment, finding the clarity in it. Um, you know, we're just like any other business, we've got, you know, a five-year plan. Um, how do we translate that into, you know, what we're doing day to day? And I find a lot of joy in doing that as well. And then there's the busy work, you know, there's the the stuff that needs to, busy work's not the right term, but, you know, the stuff that, the connector work that you need to do to make sure that you're on track, um, you know, doing a bunch of uh, analysis on revenue and trying to uncover, like, the the challenges in particular areas, um, uh, board reporting, uh, just admin, you know, if someone's off sick and we need to, like, publish a blog or something, doing that. So I think creating space for those kind of administrative tasks is also just as important as working on, you know, looking after wonderful folks and, uh, you know, trying to translate a strategy. One of the things that I've noticed as a pattern, so I talked to a lot of people who are in similar roles that, that you're in, 
is because they've become a little bit of a Swiss army knife. They've raised their hand to take on all these different problems and challenges and, and sort of run headfirst into those. You kind of end up being this team that when there's some random business challenge or some executive that has like some pet rock idea, they end up bringing it to you. And I'm wondering, I see you nodding. I was going to ask if that, if that happens or if that ever goes away. Uh, yeah, I think that happens. Um, and I think that happens for, for two reasons. One, you know, we are curious folks and we are very like interested in, in supporting people. If someone's coming to you with like a business problem, you want to help that. Um, I think we're also hopefully um, good at pushing back when it's not within your remit. I haven't been particularly good at that, um, but it also gives you opportunity to see different parts of the business. If it is a pit rock, you're like, cool, should we put some googly eyes on it and call it quits? <laughs> um, I can't remember what the second one was. I hate when I start going on a tangent, then I can't think of the next thing. Yeah, so I guess we're we're willing to like pick these things up, and we're quite good at like solving those problems. Um, and I think that's why that work kind of comes comes that way. We're open and curious. Yeah. And so what do you do when something happens? So you've got a team, you've got a, you've got a growth marketing squad and a product growth squad that ladders up to you. Hypothetically, let's say an executive comes to you and says, Hey, I'm really excited to take on this thing. We just, fin you know, it's uh, today, it's like the end of Q3. They're like, Hey, we've already done quarter, uh, quarter two planning. Excuse me. Today's the end of Q1. I'm losing my mind here. We're just we've already we've already ironed out Q2 planning. We've got this other thing. We'd love for your team to take it and investigate it. What do you think? Like, what do you do when that happens? Because I feel like that happens a lot to folks that I chat with, and it typically causes stress and like anxiety when it when it pops up. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting one, and I think that's something that is going to always happen, right? One thing that I've learned from my like wonderful product colleagues is you know, making that trade-off decision. So being really clear about, you know, what is the problem to be solved? What is the priority of it? If we do this thing, how does that impact the other things that we have there? Are you confident that this thing that you're bringing to us is going to have a, a bigger, uh, more urgent uh, impact than what we've said that we're going to do? Is that the case? Like almost asking them to pitch it to you uh, as a, just as a way to uncover, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think people, uh, especially, you know, C-suite folks, I don't think they're necessarily coming in just to like blow up your life just for funsies. Um, I expect that they have additional context to there that maybe, you know, um, uh, yeah, maybe when you're focused in a particular area, you don't necessarily have. So, um, I tend, I tend to try and come at it from like a, a place of empathy and curiosity of like, hey, why is this coming up? What is the urgency on it? And then putting a bit of process around it as well. You know, tell me about why this is important. Tell me, yeah, tell me what impact this is going to have. Why is it better than the impact uh, of something else? Um, and that's, I think, a little more like loosey-goosey than like most other people. But I think from doing that, you can, you get a little bit more context. You get a little bit more business context. I'm like, I'm very nosy. So I want to understand like why this has come up. And I think having a partnership uh, kind of approach to that means that you're not being combative. You're just trying to understand. Um, and I think, I think that's actually helped with like, as I reflect, it's helped with like fewer requests coming through like that. I mean, it's never going to stop. But fewer people are coming through because I think they kind of internalize that. Go, okay, is this actually more important than what's on the, what's on the roadmap? What they're working on? Probably not. Let's find a different avenue and not like blow up the squad. So you approach it from a place of curiosity, gain a little bit more information, and then ultimately it sounds like you use that to to prioritize. So. What I think maybe some other folks do is they hear something like that. Maybe someone who's a little bit more junior than you might hear a request from that and think, oh, geez, I need to do this in addition to all these other things that we're doing, where you see that and say, hey, no problem. I've essentially got a certain amount of, you know, of points that I can, I can assign for the quarter. Is this more valuable than the other points I've already got assigned? If so, great. Let's swap it in based on this new information. Or if not, then great. Let's stick with the plan ahead and, and kind of protect it in that way. Yeah, 100%. And I also think it's a, 
uh, it's almost a, an opportunity to educate the, the person coming in on the incredible work that the squad is getting up to. Um, I think when you work in the growth space and people may not necessarily understand why, you know, the things have been prioritized, it just gives you a great opportunity to educate and be like, oh, okay, you want that, um, that particular thing that's going to be like quite large for us to work on and going to uh, impact this one business, like this one customer of ours. Awesome. This thing that we're trying to work on is going to impact every single customer that sees our, our product for the very first time which one of those things is like more important to you and for us as a business. And then they actually get really excited. Um, and that's like, that's the dream. So you use it really as a, as an opportunity to educate and align is kind of what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like a big part of the growth role, right? Educating people and why, uh, why that work is important. Uh, so find your opportunities when you can. <laughs> So you've talked about a couple of things that are really interesting that I think are probably some of the most important soft skills for anyone who's in a similar role to yours to have. You've talked about prioritization. You've talked about education and alignment. I'm curious to know if there are other soft skills. So kind of outside of the more tactical like work, strategic work, but like other soft skills that are important for folks who are in roles like yours. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this as well. I think, uh, I can't think, I'm trying to like conceptualize in my brain uh, flexibility, you know, as a, as a soft skill, whether that's an umbrella of, of some of those other things that you were talking about or whether it's like an addition to, but I think flexibility, uh, one of those terms that feels like really ambiguous, but like one of those things that's really, really important. And when I'm hiring, I'm looking for that in, um, in people coming into the, uh, into the organization, you know, uh, I think it's it's great to have playbooks, um, and I think it's really great to like use that as a starting point. But dealing with different organizations, um, especially you know in tech, where you know, organizations can be quite different, there'll be like a few different types, but you know the intricacies will be quite different. Um, I feel like flexibility is one of those things that you really need, so that you can solve yeah solve problems that you may not have. Uh, dealt with before uh yeah solve those problems with people that you haven't necessarily worked with before different functions that you haven't worked with before i think it's a really important skill and i i wouldn't know how to like build it up necessarily maybe it's like sudoku or something um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, i i found for myself at least um having that flexibility being really important um yeah i'm curious from your perspective like what what do you think I agree. So I agree 100% with flexibility. Sometimes I use a different word, but it has the same sentiment. Um, the word that I'll use is adaptability. Because if you're really successful and you work in an amazing company and it grows extremely fast, it's choppy. Like everybody thinks like, oh, if I'm at a winner, everything's easy breezy. But I found the opposite to be true. If you're at a winner, your job changes every three to six months. And your team changes maybe just the same and who you report to changes just the same. And so the other things ladder up to that, like to be successful in that type of an environment, you need to be an incredible communicator. You need to be really good at making sure that you're aligned with all of your stakeholders. You need to make sure that you're constantly reprioritizing. And I think clarity is like maybe one of the other things, clarity in terms of what you're working on and why clarity in terms of making sure. Uh, other people know what you're working on and what you own and what you're accountable for and who you collaborate with, like where the lines of ownership are. So those are some of the things that come to mind for me, but they're very similar to what you described. I think adaptability is a way better word. Um, I'm going to steal that. It's the same thing though, right? It's it's like being okay with change and maybe thriving and craving it almost. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's something in there about ambiguity as well, right? Yeah. Growth is becoming a bit more of a... Um, you know, a known area, but it's still like, you know, growth works with product. Product is a like emerging area. Uh, we're all still like trying to figure out what works. And we, we know that there are going to, uh, there are going to be challenges there and it's going to be tricky and we're not necess necessarily going to be able to find the exact answer uh, from the degree that we did 10 years ago or, or whatever. Um, it is very, yeah. Dealing with the ambiguity is a challenge and 
also just one of the most fun parts of the job. Totally, totally. And I think you don't realize it, but that perspective of thinking that it's fun, I think is a hidden, like that's a hidden key to your success. Because if you didn't feel that way and you were put off by it or you were too rigid and like, this is, this is how I like to work. If things are constantly changing, it makes me feel on the inside uneasy. I don't think you would be as successful as you've been. Yeah, um, I totally agree. And I wouldn't necessarily say that it was like easy to to come to that. I think it's like, it's there's a little bit of like letting go of expectations when you come into a growth role of like, well, uh, I can learn as much as I can, um, but yeah, things are going to change. And if I, if I don't roll with the punches, I'm going to like... Um, yeah, I'm just gonna like get snowed under, um, and I'm sure you can. I'm sure like plenty of people can relate. You know, there is a very. Um, I, I think I haven't like looked at the data around it, but I, I feel there's like a very big like burnout mentality in the growth space. You know, because we all get really passionate, and and so if you can't like just, I don't know, be kind of meditative about it, you know, it's yeah, it's not going to be a sustainable career. So I'm curious to know, I'm, I love this topic. This is a passion topic for me, keeping yourself from revving too high. Are there specific things, rituals, approaches that you personally use? So if you feel that you're going into a kind of a high stress time that you use to try to stay even keel? Yeah, um, also a passion um, topic of mine. And I can't say that I've found the perfect answer, um, sadly. Uh, some of the things that I I employ, I guess, especially when I'm, you know, feeling kind of high rev, I think it's important to take a step back, um, and by that I mean, you know, really take stock of the work that you're go you've got going on, and just like writing a physical list. This is a new thing for me, <laughs> like writing a physical list on a piece of paper, not on like a, a notes uh, tab on on your computer, but write down a physical list of all of the things that you're doing, not in priority order, just the things that come to your mind and just look at them and be like, okay, cool. From a, I think there's like a two pronged attack for me at least of like, cool. What is the most important thing from like the perspective of business right now? Like if my, if my boss or the board was looking at this list, what would be the most important thing for them? And, and kind of prior prioritize it that way. And then from the flip side, what are the things that bring me joy um, and kind of like find that middle point? I think sometimes when you're in those high stress and fire like, moments, you kind of forget the things that bring you joy. And actually, I think like the, the way that you get into that role is because you're passionate about a thing um, and you're passionate about particular things, if you can find the things that bring you joy and like focus on that for a bit, it's still bringing business impact. Um, and you're also like getting into your happy place a little bit. So finding those tasks and then just like completely, I'm playing a huge introvert. So I completely shut everything down, let my teams know, hey, look, I'm just going to take the day to like work on this stuff. Put on some like joyful music. <laughs> I know it's like a silly thing, but, you know, I think these like small things, these small like context cues can actually really help you. Um, so I'll find the thing that I know is going to have business impact and it's going to bring me joy, put on some silly music and just jam it out, you know? Um, and I find just like, you know, focusing in on that can really help with that, like, yeah, mentality show. I think it's so important. When I started working with a coach, I used to just rev way too high. And I was like, man, I'm in this job. I'm like director of growth. I, I need to I need to be constantly ahead of where my team's at. And like, I had all these different parts of my job, right? I would report up and also enable my team below me. And then I'd have to collaborate with people next to me. And I was pushing some of my own projects along and I just didn't manage my time well. So I worked with a coach because I thought I was broken and I thought it was me. And my coach pointed out something and she said something like, when you're on an airplane and there's an emergency, like on the back of the seat card, it says, before you help anyone else, step number one is to like put your own mask on. And it just like was this moment for me where I was like, oh shit, I'm putting my mask on last. Like I'm literally helping the 10 people before me 
you know, my other stakeholders and collaborators. And I'm literally putting everything above my own internal feelings. That was the opposite. And so that's dope. So what I'm hearing you say is you're, you have a similar system, you jam it out, you put on some silly music, you kind of go inwards, but similar thing, right? You don't, you don't overextend. You, uh, you, you prioritize, reprioritize, try to ideally find the overlap between work that you find interesting and impactful work, and then try to just cut out the noise a little bit and slow things down. Yeah. 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 That's the, the approach. I, I guess like uh, stoked to hear that you have a similar approach as well. I'm wondering, like, did you have like a sense of guilt? Um, guilt isn't quite the right word, but like a sense of like, oh, I'm letting these people down if I'm just focusing on on my stuff. A hundred percent. I would feel guilty about that. And then I would feel guilty on the other end where if like, sometimes I would prioritize those people and they'd be like, Hey, we're missing this thing. We're, we're sort of unclear on the vision and where we're headed. And so I'd go Saturday midday to a coffee shop and I'd put on headphones and I'd jam it out. But like, it would be on the weekend, like on my time where I'd stay really late. And then I would feel guilty about doing that. It was like, well, I shouldn't be doing that. And so I don't have the solution for that. But what I think it comes down to for me is actually what you said. It's refocusing on the most important stuff and it's saying no to more which feels counterintuitive because I, I just, for me anyways, I like to help by nature and like, I want to help other teams. And what I've learned is that a lot of times all those yeses, like those little yeses for me added up into like big distractions. So it was saying more to no, saying more to no, can't speak today, saying no to more stuff so that I could say yes to the right stuff for my team. And that helped me to slow things down a little bit, but no, I felt, I felt guilt about it every which way. Cool. <laughs> I don't think there's any silver bullet. I mean, that sounds like that resonates with you then. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I, I think it's a, um, and maybe like a bit of like guilt from, uh, you know, making that tr transition from being an IC into a leadership position, the guilt of like maybe making that transition, maybe a little bit of like imposter syndrome of, Hey, I, I think my, I think I can help these people. And that will be like, that's like more in my wheelhouse than like doing this hard stuff over here. Maybe this is like, uh, this is the the way that I show my value. Um, and especially like saying yes to a whole bunch of things like that, that is very much in that wheelhouse, right? Yeah, it's a tricky one. You want to empower your folks and you want to make sure that um, there's transparency. Uh, but you have to do that for yourself as well. Yeah, I think the analogy of putting your own um, uh, air mask on before someone else's is absolutely true there. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one. So you touched on something that's really interesting in, uh, in the imposter syndrome. I would say that that is the number one thing that connects folks who are in these types of roles is that people who I work with in my coaching practice are constantly sharing some flavor of, hey, I don't really know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm kind of winging it. I don't, I don't really know if everyone else knows that I'm kind of winging it and I'm scared to be found out. And I'm wondering if that resonates with you. And if so, what are the things that, that make you feel like an imposter? Yeah. Look, yeah. And we've talked about this before, right? Like imposter syndrome is, is such a, a strong thing. And I think particularly even saying this makes me feel uncomfortable, but I think imposter syndrome is, uh, particularly prevalent with high performers uh, where uh, we we want to feel like we know everything. We don't want to be found out. I've had that like my entire life, but I imagine that's the, the same for, for everyone. Um, and it's been really fascinating. Like I've been hearing more people talk about it, um, which has been really like soothing for my soul. You know, people like really high up uh, conversations with you, conversations with like um, C-level folks, hearing like everyone's kind of got that. <laughs> Everyone kind of feels it. Um, and I'm so grateful that it's something that we can talk about a little bit more now. Um, I've kind of, I've tried to um, I guess reconceptualize it in my brain of imposter syndrome is just like uh, sustained curiosity or at least that's the way that I try to see it, um, where, you know, 
at the heart of it, imposter syndrome, you feel like you just don't know enough. And so you can't represent that. And that's true because no one's going to know everything. Um, but it also means that you're curious. You know, if you think about the opposite of it, someone that's like real like boisterous and, and confident, but doesn't necessarily make the right decisions. What is the thing about that that makes us feel icky? They're not curious. They're not like interested in collaborating. So I've tried to like get to a place where I re reconceptualize it and see it as a strength rather than a weakness. So you still feel it. We all feel this. You just feel it and you just keep going. And you just sort of chalk it up as, hey, I'm doing something interesting and I'm pushing myself outside my comfort zone. And almost, these are my words, not yours, but what I'm hearing you say is almost categorize it differently in your brain where it's a positive signal that it's like personal and professional growth and not an emergency signal. Uh, absolutely. Um, and I think when you're making a transition as well, whether you're going into a new role or a new business, um, yeah, using that as a strength is really, really important. Because otherwise you come in, you don't, you're not interested in finding out the context. You're not interested in having that curiosity because you think you know it all. Recategorizing it has been really helpful. And so what do you do when you encounter something that you just don't know, right? So you said, hey, so I used to feel all this pressure to like have all the answers. And now what I realize is that no one has all the answers and that's okay. But like, what do you tactically do when you encounter either a new problem or a new situation where you don't have an existing playbook to lean on? Great question. Uh, I feel like that all the time. Um, and I guess like there, there's a few different ways. That, <laughs> <laughs> there's a few different ways that I would approach it. Um, are there people around the organization that I can lean on that have knowledge in this space? Um, if no, are there people in my network that I can lean on that might have knowledge in this space? If no, can I rub a duck with like, you know, my partner or my best friend and be like, let's talk about this at its like kind of atomic level and see if we can like uh, relate it to something else that's not actually that thing. But yeah, ultimately it is, it is tricky, um, especially in that growth space. Like, what do you do when you don't know how to do it? You figure it out. Uh, I would love to say that I've fig figured out how to figure it out. <laughs> Very meta. Um, but you got to lean on the people around you. Um, and if they don't know, then I don't know, that kind of soothes the like imposter uh, syndrome, right? Where like, if no one else knows and you're like, okay, cool. We're all starting from this base level. That's, that feels a lot better than like me being like, me being the person that's missing what's going on here. Yeah. But if I figure it out, I'll let you know. <laughs> if I come up with a frame in that space, I'll let you know. <laughs> so from the outside looking in, I look at someone with your background and your experience as having made it, right? You were a growth marketer. You became a growth PM. Now you're head of growth and self-serve at a really high volume, badass company. Do you feel like you made it? No. <laughs> no is the, is the short answer. Um, and the long answer is I don't think I will ever feel like I've made it. Uh, I think that is uh, a good thing. Right. I feel like if if I was like, yep, made it done. Good. Honestly, I feel like my my work output just you would kind of feel it. Uh, I am very much one of those people that like uh, my work is representative of the passion that I have for it, which is why I like uh, I'm so grateful that I've gotten into uh, this area because it is very much, um, you know, you you don't pick and choose, but you, well, yeah, you do kind of pick and choose the, the problems to be solved. Um, and if it's chunky, hard to like conceptualize problem, like my passion is going to come through it. Um, so I don't necessarily feel like I've made it. Maybe I need to do some, like some meditation on that, uh, to, to look into that a little bit more, but I want to keep pushing. Uh, the tricky thing about growth is like, you don't necessarily know what the next the next step is right it's not like um chief growth officer is a particularly um you know proliferated role and so yeah i personally feel like i'm at this point of what is the next step uh which could either be like narrowing back into a particular area um but that doesn't necessarily get my like uh my brain fired up thinking about you know going back into a particular area 
So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the next step is, but there is there is definitely more next steps. Yeah, I was curious to ask, like, if you had professional growth or career goals at this point. Sounds like you don't necessarily have a next career goal in mind, but I guess what about on the professional growth side? Like, are there certain skills or things or problems that you're working on? Yeah, um, I uh, yeah. So because I've gotten into the space where I'm like, I don't know what the next step is, um, and I think like early career, you kind of have like a, a very set thing, especially in the marketing space. You start out as an assistant, you go into a specialist, then you go into manager, whatever. Um, and now I'm like, I don't know what that looks like. Uh, so my next step is to go a bit broad. Um, I'm going to be starting an MBA uh, soon. Uh, which will be really exciting. And I'm hoping that that will give me some clarity on, you know, what is out there in the same way that I didn't know growth existed until I was in it. I'm sure there is something else out there that, um, that I don't know about that, you know, could be really exciting. Um, I've been particularly inspired by, you know, your, your journey um, and people like you, you know, going more into this solopreneur kind of space that definitely like uh, has some curiosity for me um but yeah i don't know and the thing is um you know i don't feel like i've stopped you know like i don't feel like i'm not still learning things i feel like i'm learning things every single day so you know i'm happy to sit here for a bit and mull on it um as long as i'm still uh providing value and getting value back like i'm i'm pretty happy again that delightful ambiguity uh, of, of being a human, but being a human in growth in particular. I was literally just thinking the same thing, right? We talked about skills or characteristics of people who thrive in these types of roles. And we talked about thriving under ambiguity or maybe being excited or motivated by ambiguity. And you've got the same thing applied to your career, which is, hey, I don't know what the next step is, but I heard you use the word fun. Like it's going to be fun to figure it out, right? And that as a perspective helps you. It's interesting you also mentioned the solopreneur route. Um, we can talk about that another day, but I, I had uh, Ben Williams on the podcast. Do you know him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with his work from uh, LinkedIn. He's su super cool, very smart. Yeah, yeah. So Ben obviously just went down this road. He was former uh, VP of product and growth at Sneak, and then he's gone off and kind of built his own advising practice. Obviously different pros and cons there in life, but there's definitely a movement of people who have been operators that are exploring different lifestyles. Yeah, 100%. And again, like something that just wasn't, I wasn't aware of. Also just like never felt like I had the skill set in that space in that like, yeah, I'm starting to feel comfortable in the like uncomfort of, you know, not knowing how to solve problems and things like that. But it feels like a whole different level when, you know, you are the like, essentially the master of your own destiny. Like, you know, if, if things don't go the right way, that like that sits with you, right? But then the the trade-off is when things go right, you can really feel it, I imagine. It just like, yeah, it just just feel amazing. So it's it's a trade-off. <laughs> yeah, it's just different, right? Right now when you're in-house, a lot of your fulfillment comes from, you know, growing the business that you're working on and fulfilling the goals of other people or other executives or VCs or whatever it is. And then when you go on your own, it's all personal fulfillment, but you also get like when things don't go well, I've noticed that you carry it. It's like a heavier weight. If you lose a client or you were really excited to work with the company and they went with somebody else or whatever it is. And so it's like both sides of the coin. It's just part of the deal, right? You got to be good with ambiguity. You have to be motivated by that or else it's probably not the right fit. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you like kind of, I guess, ride that wave? Have you found the, the ways that kind of help you make the like wins feel bigger and the maybe losses not feel so bad? So earlier in our combo, you were saying, Hey, I try not to rev too high. And that when I get a little bit, um, my words, I don't think you used the words rev, but you said, I try not to get too much going on. And when I do. I try to reset a little bit by refocusing and kind of putting my head down into impactful work. And I've taken a slightly different approach running my own business. I actually have a mantra where I try not to get too much of my fulfillment, good or bad from the business. Uh, and so candidly, I work with a business coach and I told him one day, I was like, man, 
like when things are good, I feel on top of the world, but when things aren't going well, I like can't let it go. Like I bring it to my family dinner. I'll like wake up in the middle of the night being pissed because whatever thing happened, because I don't have an outlet to, it's not like I can share in that, uh, you know, in that disappointment with someone. So it has an extra weight for me. And so his advice was, you can't, his advice was don't get your personal fulfillment from your business, get it anywhere but the business. Because if you get your, your positive fulfillment from the business, you can't get the good without the bad. And so if you don't want the bad and you want to just try to keep it easy, get fulfillment in other places and prioritize those every day, which I try to do, right? So time with family, time with friends, uh, time learning from other solopreneurs and business owners and things like that. It's idealistic, a little bit of a work in progress for me, but that's the, that's the tool that I use. Yeah, I guess it's like, it's very, um, I guess it's like very stoic, right? Like the philosophical kind of concept of stoicism where you don't like, you don't take the highs, you don't take the lows, you look for that contentment, um, which is very much easier said than done, I'm sure. <laughs> the mantra that he always drills into me is high intention, low attachment. So obviously you have an intention to do great work, to partner with these brands. You'd love to work with these companies and be their advisor or be this person's coach or whatever. But if it doesn't work out, you have to have low attachment to that outcome, good or bad, or else it's going to have a heavy weight. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. I imagine it's a work in progress. Um, I am super excited to hear how you go with it. Please totally. share All part of the journey <laughs> is like figuring out how to manage your own emotions, both in-house and on your own. Yeah. I know we're yeah. coming up on time. You got real work that you need to do. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. And for folks who are listening to this that are curious about you or maybe want to get in touch with you, how can they connect with you? Where can they find you? Just the classic LinkedIn. Um, my DMs are always open. Um, I love to talk to folks, no matter what they're interested in. If they're passionate about something, I'm always curious to have that conversation. Uh, I definitely get that joy. So please hit me up if you want to chat anything, growth or career or anything. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate your time. Can't wait to release this episode and share it. I'm super excited. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the pod. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. If you did, I have an ask. The biggest gift that you could give me as a small business owner and as a content creator would be a review. You know the game. You can go on to Apple Podcasts. You can go on Spotify. Leave a review. That would help me service this content to other folks who are like you. Obviously, you should subscribe to the content if you really dug it. And if there's feedback that you have for me, folks you think I should chat with, stuff that you wish I would gloss over faster, whatever it is, I'm all ears. I work in growth. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I, I try to collect feedback and iterate quickly. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Andrew Kaplan or on Twitter at, at A Kaplan. Otherwise, hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll see you next show.